You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I'm, uh, I'm so glad to, to be able to, to preach the word of God to you this morning. Uh, Brandon asked me a few weeks ago um, if I could, and him and Lauren are, are getting back from a mission trip to the uh, Dominican Republic, and so praying for their safety on the way back and hopefully get some rest before they jump back into to life as normal here. Um, so my, my name is Cole Rhodes. I'm our uh, journey pastor. I lead our college ministry here. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Caitlin, sitting right over there, the beautiful blonde-haired lady right there. Um, uh, we have a, a beautiful little girl named Eleanor. She is one year and a little over two months today. She's been um, a, a joy for those of you who are parents. You remember um, when you thought crawling was kind of chaotic? Well, now she's walking. Uh, so we're, we're discovering that. We're discovering that she can she can literally find everything she's not supposed to do, right? Um, and not supposed to touch. Um, and that, that's just a fun time. And uh, so we're staying busy with that. We, we love Lubbock. We grew up in uh, Sweetwater, Texas, not too far from here. And so we, we consider West Texas home. We've been here about a year and seven months, eight months or so. Uh, and and we, we love Lubbock. We're uh, glad to have, have settled down and hope to be here for a long, long time uh, by the Lord's grace. So... Last week, we were in First Thessalonians. Brandon did a really great job. Um, honestly, he did almost too good of a job. And I was thinking, like, what am I going to preach in Second Thessalonians? Because they're, they're, they're related quite a bit. And one of the things that he did that I was really in, impressed with and, and thought was so helpful and spot on is he really highlighted the, the fact that we need to, to, to be ready. We need to stay awake and stay alert and be ready for Christ's return and, and what kind of posture that sort of looks like in our lives. I, I love to use the illustration um, of a, a, a bride and a groom on the, on the wedding day, kind of comparing the, the, the bride of Christ and the bridegroom, Jesus. He had just done the wedding for who is now Katie Harden and Bryce Harden. And I think that's why he thought of this, but he gave the example of how funny would it be, church, uh, to see. Um, a bride, it's, say the wedding starts at 6.30, it's 6.30 p.m., she's, but she doesn't have her dress on, she doesn't have her makeup on, she doesn't have her hair ready, but she walks down the aisle. Anyway, we're going to think that's kind of strange, right? We're going to think that's, that's weird, and, and maybe the husband, he still loves her, he's going to marry her, but he's going to think, like, what are you doing? Like, did you forget that our wedding was today? Or he even used the example of, like, man, hey, what, wouldn't it be weird if she was just walking down the aisle, like, eating a cheeseburger, right? And you're just like, what, what, like, what are you doing? Like, it, it's, it's your wedding. It's not, you don't seem to have a posture of, of readiness. And he, and he used that to sort of display or, or draw out how funny it would be or how ironic it would be that we as a church, as a bride of Christ, would not be ready and have a posture of readiness and eagerness for the day that, that Jesus returns and, and, and staying awake and, and actively engaging with the Lord in our walk with him. And so that, that was great, and he covered some, some good applications. And, and now we're getting into 2 Thessalonians, and it's a lot of the same theme. But I think what I want to seek to answer this, this morning and the question that I see from our text, uh, we're going to be in chapter 2, starting in verse 13, if y'all want to go ahead and turn there, chapter 2, verse 13, is, is I'm wondering, whenever I hear about staying awake and staying ready, what I'm, what I'm wondering is, is this really a matter 
of perseverance and endurance because I, I can tell you, um, Austin and the leaders that just went to high school camp, like I can tell you the first two days, they probably had a decent amount of energy and they were able to stay awake. But by the third day, that's when they had to ask themselves and dig deep if they had endurance. Even students, like staying awake for that morning session on the third day was pretty hard, wasn't it? Like, yeah, you're like, dude, by day two, I was done, right? Yeah. And so when we're talking about staying awake, staying ready, this is really, I think, a matter of what, is, what type of perseverance, what type of grit, what type of endurance do you have as a believer? And so one of the things that we know, and I believe an application that Brandon gave, it's one that we give almost every day, is the, the relationship or, or how you view and how you handle the fact that we've been given the, the gift of, of the Bible, we've been given God's word. I think a lot of that answer is tied up in, into here. So here's the question. What type of posture might we have towards God's truth, the Bible, if we want to persevere as a Christian and make it till the end, make it to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? What type of posture might you have towards God's holy scriptures, towards God's truth? If you wanna be found standing before the Lord Jesus and hearing him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me tell you about a time that I did not have a posture that enabled me to finish well. Uh, so as you can probably tell by looking at me, um, I, I know my way around food, right? Like you can say that, that brother probably eats a lot, right? And I, and I do. Um, I love me some, some, a good steak and taters. I'm a good West Texan like, like that. And even from a, a young age, like my mom said, as a baby, she could barely like keep her, her hand from like getting a cramp in it from just feeding me. Like she was constantly scooping food into my mouth. And, and that was all the way through childhood. And I, I remember when I was 10 years old, um, I got word that there was actually a restaurant out there that had a two-pound burger, all right, a two-pound burger. And I was really excited by that. The name of it, it's closed now. It's actually called Zettner's Daughter in San Angelo, Texas. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, original was Zettner's in Abilene. The daughter of Mr. Zettner started that in San Angelo called Zentner's Daughter. And I, I heard that they had a two-pound burger and I was really excited to go try that. Now bear in mind, I'm just, I'm just 10 years old, but I'm very ambitious. I, I was the kid who tried to out-eat his dad at the dinner table, um, even though it took me an extra hour to eat. I would eat one more fry than dad or whatever. And you're thinking like, dude, that's called gluttony. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with it, all right? We're getting there. That's another sermon. <laughs> um, let's not focus on my sins today. Anyway, um, so we, we, we get there, and of course, I, I'm overly confident. I have a posture of, like, I, I got this. And, and I'm, I'm probably thinking, you know what, do they really mean two-pound burger, or is it two pounds when they put it on the grill, and then after it grills, it's like a pound and a half, right? Because I, I know my food. I think about these things. And, and so, of course, when they bring the burger out, I realize, no, no, like, it is two pounds, like, on the plate, like, for real. And this thing is, like, like here's the bottom of the plate, and this thing is, like, this high, about this wide, and then I'm just... I'm daunted, right? It's like, oh man, what did I get myself into? But I had made such a big deal out about being able to finish this burger with no problem. So I dive straight into it after five minutes, like, okay, I'm doing all right. 10 minutes, uh-oh, <laughs> 15 minutes, oh boy. And I'm looking, and I've barely gotten through the first half of this burger, right? Um, and it's still, it looks like it's just towering over my face and I'm sitting at the table. And what I knew at that moment, it's like, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be able to finish it. I don't think I'm going to be able to get through this burger. And one of the people at the table said, hey, Cole, you, you know you don't have to, to finish it, right? And I was like, 
Oh, thank God. Okay. I don't have to finish that. Like, I'm good. I was, I, I was done. I realized from the very beginning, I did not count the cost, so to speak, of, of how hard that was going to be. Now, I'm going to translate this ridiculous idea here in a minute. But I, actually, one of the, the person who asked me that, I found that later, didn't order anything and just waited for me to get tired of eating so he could finish off the burger. And so that's a story for you parents. You kind of know how that works. Um, where, where does this idea come from? I, I think a, a lot of us... Um, Hang in there with a the metaphor. In, in most of our lives, we have a so-called two-pound burger. What I mean is that we kind of go into life maybe with a, with a posture, like, oh, we've got this. And, and, and eventually in our lives, I think all of us kind of come to a point like, am I, am I going to make it? <laughs> like, am I going to be able to actually get through this? Um, in, in the Christian life, you've had plenty of moments where you're finding yourself asking and searching, do I, do I really have faith? Do I really believe that there's a God up there? It's easy to go through the motions and, 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 and come to church and do Christianese type things, but do I, do I really believe there's a God? Am I going to, to make it? Do I have what it takes? And that, again, brings us back to our question. Because I believe the answer is that we can find what it takes, but what type of posture might we have towards God's truth that's going to ensure that, not only this morning, but for the rest of our lives? So 2 Thessalonians, y'all turn there, um, chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. It says this. But we are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So what, what he's saying is like, hey, listen, I'm giving thanks because you are believers. That word beloved in the New Testament is only used to describe brothers and sisters in Christ. It's only used to describe Christians. He's saying God shows you as the first fruits. What he's saying to the church at Thessalonica is that in the history of God's redemption in the new covenant era of Christ, you are some of the first people in the entire world that have known the gospel and been saved by it. That's pretty cool, right? He's saying that to them. He's like, so I'm so thankful for you. You've been saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Sanctification has a kind of a twofold meaning here. Sometimes we just think of sanctification as growing in Christ after we believe in him, but it also has a meaning of, you know what, when we believe in Christ, the Bible says that we receive his righteousness as a gift. We receive the spotless holiness, righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us as a gift. So actually, believers in the room, when Jesus, sorry, when God the Father looks at you, he does not see even your current struggles and sin. He actually sees the righteousness of Jesus. Praise God, right? And so that's part of the meaning is that there's an already not yet. We have been sanctified, but God then calls us to do something called walking in that sanctification that not only is the, the great ultimate reality of our salvation, God sees us as that, but he wants us to participate and walk as though we really are holy because ultimately we are. And he says, what are you sanctified by? By the Spirit working in you and your belief in the truth. He's saying that it was your belief in the gospel and the atonement and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that's what saved you. And him, him being risen from the dead, you have new life. You've got resurrection power flowing through your veins. And, and, and Paul is saying, we're giving thanks to God for all of these things. You're believers. There's a great reality that you're living out and experiencing. And then verse 14, he said, everything I just described to this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so all of these things, listen to this. 
God saved you, not ultimately for you, but ultimately for his glory and that you might experience and walk into that and step into that. Isn't that cool? When does that happen? A lot of what Brandon talked about last week at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ when, as Paul tells the church at Corinth, that we with unveiled face will behold the glory of God. Moses had to veil his face or hide in the cleft of a rock as God walked by, but we with our glorified, perfected heavenly bodies will get to just be in the presence of God, like physically not die like that, but see the beauty and glory of this God that we've been hearing about and having faith in, though we haven't been able to see physically our whole lives. We're going to get to see our God. And we will glorify him on that day, of course. And here's our focal passage this morning. Because of all these things are true. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. What posture should we have towards God's truth if we want to persevere and endure as Christians until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? The first is to stand firm upon God's truth and don't move. <laughs> Right, so I'll tell you a little bit something that I, that I learned. Um, a dumb mistake, those of you who lived in Lubbock for a while, is I tried to actually plant bushes in the heat of the summer in our backyard last August. That was one of the dumbest things I've ever done. And we, we asked around, people like, oh yeah, you could do it. And so um, the, the heat, y'all remember how bad the heat was last summer? Like this summer has been pretty mild. Like it was terrible, it was dry. So we get into um, our, our backyard and I have a, a dirt area and I start trying to just, uh, dig some holes for these crepe myrtles that we bought. Um, and that was the second mistake. I didn't realize how hard the ground is. Like, I've seen hard ground before, but this is, like, Lubbock is insane. Like, what, what is wrong? There's rocks, like, in the dirt. There's just rocks there. Like, no one put them there. They're just, they're just there, right? And so I, I start watering the, the ground uh, maybe, like, once or twice, and I dig a decent hole. I'm like, ah, this is good enough. And I, I put the bushes down into it. And, you know, there's, when you buy them, you kind of pull it out of the little plastic container, and it's got about, that much so of like roots or so. Well, I should have known this was a bad idea because part of, part of the roots were still sticking above the ground when I put them in there. But I was like, I was tired. I was like, I'm done. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, they're going to dissolve into the rest of the dirt or whatever. I didn't know what I was doing. And so because it was really dry and really hot, the only water it was getting was from me and I did not water it enough. Um, and of course, what happened after that was one of the, like historically, one of the, the harshest uh, winters that, that Lubbock has experienced. I mean, I mean, almost ever, if you look back in, in the archives and stuff like that. And so what basically ended up happening is my poor little crepe myrtles, by the time April came around, I was like, they, they're not looking good. And then some people were like, oh, you're, this year you're gonna have to wait till May. Waited until May, they were looking awful. They were just dying. And so I had to, I had to pull the plug, guys. It was rough. It was a sad, we had a funeral for them. Everything it consisted of me um, playing a Chris Tomlin song uh, in my earbuds and throwing it into the dumpster. It was real emotional. Um, it was amazing. <laughs> that didn't happen. So I did rip them up out of the ground, though. So here's what I learned. They were not rooted. They were not planted firmly. And they failed. So what did I do this year? I was like, okay. I, I was born yesterday, but I stayed up all night learning, right? And so I'm going I'm to learn some things. And so this year... Uh, we bought five plants. We had two rose bushes, three crepe myrtles. And I went out there to that same place and I, I wet that ground really well. I wet like five times. I'd 
wet it down once, dug, you know, like with a wet ground in Lubbock, you can dig about three inches, all right? And then you wet it some more and you come back, maybe you get down six inches. And I just kept doing that over and over and over again and dug a really, really deep hole, five big deep holes for all these plants, two rose bushes, three crepe myrtles. And what I found is I was able to also get some soil and, and some molts, like someone actually knows what they're doing, all right? And put them in, in, in the hole and the, the roots were totally covered up down into the ground and they weren't immediately surrounded by rocks, right? There's plenty of dirt and for them, the roots to, to grow into. I was, I was feeling so good about myself, right? And so finally got all of them filled in, all the soil, all the molts put on, looking nice and, and pretty. And guess what? That same night, a, a terrible storm came, right? And just like wind, wind blowing. I was like, of course this would happen to me. But, but you know what? The next morning, Kirk Myrtles, rose bushes, they were still there. They were still planted firmly, right? And so I could be totally wrong and I'll let you know sometime next year. But I am thinking that maybe this go around that they're gonna make it because they're planted firmly in the ground because they're standing firm in the soil that I, I provided for them that even through another harsh winter, even though August is coming and it's gonna be hot, but they're gonna make it, they're gonna survive. And that long illustration that I gave is, is, is the type of thing that I want you to point you to for what standing firm means. See, uh, a, lot of, a lot of us are kind of like last year's crepe myrtles. We, we're not all the way rooted down in God's word. We got some of our, we're kind of rooted in some other places, maybe just things that we've heard and been taught, maybe other philosophies out there, like some of the sources of truth, some of the sources of, of, of uh, life and wisdom and guidance that you get. Some of it's rooted in God's word, but some of it is just whatever you, you make up or whatever you hear and whatever you think. And so the storms of life come, not, when, not if they come, right? But when they come, those of you that have some wisdom in here, you know that. And what happens when if you're not rooted in God's word, you're gonna, you're gonna find out that those storms of life come. Marital difficulties, peer, peer pressure, uh, children and teenagers in, in the room, college students, professors that are basically telling you that God doesn't exist and maybe challenging you to have to get into the word for the very first time in your entire life. Anxiety, depression, various forms of suffering. When those things come at you, what do you believe about God and what do you believe about life that's gonna prevent you from not being like those crepe myrtles that shriveled up and, and died, but rather a flourishing plant like Psalm 1 says, a tree planted by streams of flowing living water that bears fruit in good season, in every season. That's what standing firm in God's word means. And so what type of posture do we need to have to, to endure in this life? The first is to be stand, standing firm to be standing firm upon God's word and not to move. As we keep reading verse 15 again, it says, so then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now I wanna take a second to explain something because I think it's gonna be worth our time. It says the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. There's something very interesting. Everyone in this, in this room is probably, especially if you're a believer, you are gonna fall under the category probably of Protestant. And historically, Protestants don't like tradition. <laughs> historically, Protestants I wanna be anti-tradition uh, pro-Bible. In other words, we don't want any tradition of men to intrude what we believe about God, and that's a very good thing. That's actually a very good characteristic. This is why I'm going here. So Paul says traditions that you were taught by us, who's us? Anyone? Who knows? 
namely Paul, who was a capital A what? Apostle, right? So we can assume Paul, the apostle, us, probably the other apostles, and, and probably those that were called and qualified to be teachers and preachers of God's word who were affirmed by the apostles. And so what did the apostles teach? What was the, what was the signature of the apostles' teaching? It has to do with a word that starts with a capital J. Jesus, there you go. Throughout Christian history, what we see, we have a term called apostolic teaching or apostolic faith or our truth. And why we use that is because the apostles all had a firsthand relationship with Jesus. Most all of them heard his, his parables, his teachings. And when they heard the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, to teach everyone to observe all that I commanded, you know what they did? They taught everyone to observe all that he commanded. And so what the apostles taught is what Jesus taught. Isn't that cool? Now check this out. Y'all hold here with me. Something maybe you've never seen in this verse. He said, hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by what? Spoken word and by our letter. What did, what does Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, <laughs> other than words that were originally spoken and written down, Right? And when he says letter, what are we reading right here? We're reading a letter, right? This is so cool, don't miss this. This is great, an opportunity for you to have a good apologetic about why we hold God's word to be true, even in the New Testament. So what Paul is basically saying, even though he wouldn't have known it at the time, is he's basically saying, hold to your New Testament, <laughs> Hold to your scriptures. Hold to the teachings of the apostles. That's what Jesus taught. That's what we taught and we spoke and they were written down even in letters. And thankful through church history, we see actual councils and men that were gathered together to decide and, and choose what would be our New Testament canon, to decide what would be our Bible so that we, friends, can know what it is that we're supposed to be standing firm upon and holding on to. Isn't that cool? And so our Bibles are, are a gift that's what he's talking about here. This is what we've been, we've been given. Traditions that were passed down were the traditions that, that Jesus taught. And, and even in 2021, we get to open our scriptures and read this right here this day. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm gonna believe that that's true. I'm ready to stand firm on that, be firmly planted. And I want to, whatever, whatever it might mean or look like to hold to that, I'm ready to do that. Are you with me in that? I'm ready. I'm like, okay, this is, this is good. This is truth. And so there's actually a really interesting meaning in this word um, hold. How many of you um, are kind of like me? You like, like a good movie or TV show, like interrogation scene, anybody? You like that? I like to see someone, not many hands raised. Come on now. Yeah, we got it. You like to see how, man, they kind of, they arrest somebody, they bring in that, that prime suspect, bring them in for questioning, you know what I'm talking about? And so I, you know, I'm uh, going to live vicariously through, you know, some movies this morning, get, get my moment up here on stage for everybody. I'm just joking. But one of, one of my favorite scenes I even think of is like the, the Dark Knight trilogy, whenever um, they, they got the Joker in there and he doesn't know that, that Batman's there and all, they, they leave like, hey, and he thinks that they're, they're done with him. And all of a sudden Batman like comes out of nowhere, like, bam, like comes in here. I don't want to be too violent. But he like sits down, and he's like questioning the Joker's like, where are they, right? He's trying to figure out where uh, Rachel and Harvey Dent are, right? It's like a great scene. I can do a lot of voices, but I, I'm going to hold back for now. Um, <laughs> 
And so what, what kind of happens, right? You got that person on the table and the detective's right here. He's, he's questioning them and all those things. And what's essentially happened is that they have arrested a person. They've held on to them. And they're going to treat them as the prime suspect of the answers, the person holding the source of the answers that they need in order to do what they need to do in order to crack the case. That makes sense? Now, here's what's cool. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, this word for hold, I did a word search this week. I was kind of wondering, man, what is, uh, what's going on? I feel like there's got to be something more. What, what does it look like to hold? This word is actually used in one of the gospel narratives when they're, when they're saying that the Roman guards took and they arrested Jesus. It's the same word for arrest. And so my, my type of personality kind of likes this because this is, this, is a, this is a verb, this is kind of an aggressive word. This is not a Bible on the shelf type relationship. This is a grab onto it and hold onto it. Get a friend to grab a whole roll of duct tape and wrap it around you to make sure that it never leaves you type relationship. It is literally taking the word of God that's a gift for you, like arresting it, putting handcuffs around it and holding onto it to never let it go. And so let's, let's, go, some here, let's go somewhere with this image. I think... I think a lot of us, let me just kind of pull up, pull up a chair and be, be, be real with you guys for a minute. I, I think as I was studying this week, I was like, man, we, we could go a lot of different directions. But you know what question I was asking myself? I was like, everyone in this room, almost everyone in this room knows that they should be reading the word of God, probably. But statistics will tell you and experience of mine and other people will tell you that 95% plus of church members, that people go to church every single week actually don't do that thing. And so that's what I'm wrestling with that this morning. Is that okay? Is that okay if we just let, like, let down those walls and we don't, have to, we don't have to pretend that we don't struggle in this area, right? Is that okay with you guys? We don't have to, we don't have to pretend we're gonna break down that, that facade. And so the question I'm asking this morning is, why is that? Is there, is there a breakthrough that, that we could have? What is it gonna be? What could we hear? What could we find out about God's word that would maybe make this the last Sunday that we hear to be in God's word and never do it? But instead, we take this and say, hey, I'm gonna move the Bible off the shelf and get it under the lamp, okay? So let's talk about that. A good interrogation has a lamp, Right? Y'all see it really playing this out. You're like, oh, yeah, he knew what he was doing today. Thankfully, the lamp worked. That would have been really awkward. And so, because a lot of us have a Bible on the shelf type relationship with God's word, we don't arrest it, we don't take it in, we don't embrace it. The questions, the struggles that we have Maybe they can get addressed on a Sunday sermon, but unless we're coming on Sunday and, and church statistics would say if, if you come even just twice a month, that's an active church member. And so you may be hearing from the word of God twice a month. Unless you are coming to God's word and finding those answers, you're gonna look for somewhere else or you're just gonna go void without it. And so maybe some of you 
need to bring the Bible under the lamp and interrogate it a little bit. Let's do the first one. So maybe you need to, to come to God in the morning, and you're, you're, wherever your quiet time is, under, under the lamp. It's early in the morning. It's not even bright outside yet. You need to put your Bible underneath some scrutiny. It's okay, and ask God some hard questions. Some of you need to just say this. Hey, God, honestly, I think the Bible is, is boring. You just need to tell them that. that. That's why I don't read the Bible. I think it's boring. Bible's getting interrogated. The Bible says, okay, well, I hear you. Let's, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter three. And so you're interrogating the Bible, you're asking for some answers in 2 Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then, and then it, it, it might lead you as, you as you question the word of God and its authority in your life and its value, it might lead you over to Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, it says this, in verse seven, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So as you're bold and you come to God and you want to honestly interrogate him, why did you give me a book that's so big and so boring? Hopefully he would gently, but yet powerfully speak into your life and say, it's because you're looking for survival while Psalm 19 is calling you to revival. You're looking just to make it in life and I wanna transform your life. And just like any good interrogator, like, hmm, okay. Instead of just walking away after a good answer, like, okay, so he's telling me more. This, this person's got answers. And so some of you, maybe in the room, you're gonna say, you know what? I wanna read the Bible, God, but I, I can't. I don't know how. It's too hard. Maybe God would lead you to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse five. And he might tell you and show you Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God might say to you, you haven't been able to read the Bible well because you haven't been coming in your time with me with a humble approach and saying, God, even as I read your word, I can't do it apart from you. Like, if you don't help me, if you don't illuminate these words, if you don't capture my mind's attention and my heart's affection, even in this next 15, 20, 30 minutes, or however long you're gonna spend in the word, God, it would be wasted time. So Lord, help me. I need you in that. Side note too, there's plenty of one sheets back and maybe invest 30, 40, $50 in a study Bible to help you in that. And so let's get a little bit more real. We move past the Bible. Some of you in this room, as I mentioned earlier, as we're saying, you're, you're never gonna let me down. Oh God, God, you're good. Some of you, you're like, that's not true. And so some of you need to interrogate God and, and God's word by saying, hey Lord, what about all of the temptations that I have that always seem to win? God, you know that I want to please you, all right? But what, what, what about that? How do, I, how do I overcome that? God, I have so many... So, Everyone in the room, maybe this applies to you. Maybe there's some sexual temptations you have. Maybe you're tempted to lash out in anger. Maybe you're tempted to harbor hate against someone who mistreated you or didn't give you the so-called respect that you thought you deserved. Maybe you're so tempted to despair every time you fall into sin and to run away as if God didn't love you like Adam and Eve rather than the prodigal son and running to God with open arms as a loving father. And here's what God's word would say to this. 
I would show you 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And he would remind you because of the power of his Holy Spirit in you, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay, that's interesting, God. Thank you for this. And there's some of you right now, if you'd be honest, you're, you're in a bind right now. Like you're, you're stuck in a rut and you've been there. I don't know what it is. It may be financial. I don't know if you have a, a sickness. I don't know what it may be, but you're stuck in a rut. If you would be honest, you're in this room, but you have so much trouble actually having faith. You might even say if you were honest in a moment of vulnerability that you have lost your faith in God. And you might say to God in the, in the quiet of the morning underneath the lamp, I gotta be honest with you, God, I'm lacking in faith. Like the one thing that you tell me to do to have faith in you, I can't even do that. So what do you say about that? Because God's a loving and gentle father, I think he, he turns you to Mark chapter nine. And he says, I had a follower that was like you. Jesus said to this man whose child was ill, he said, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately in verse 24, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And so God would say to you, Yes, I get it. I know I've told you to have faith and even sometimes in that, you can't do it. And he says, if you are lacking faith, if you are having an incredible amount of unbelief, you can even pray to him for faith and he will give that to you. And see, some of, some of the people in this room You've looked for, for other places for the answers to this question, but you know what? If you would be honest and vulnerable this morning, you might, in an act of just frustration and surrender to God, you might put his word under a lamp and want to shine some light on this issue, and it is the issue that you've been facing for a very long time, is that I cannot believe in a so-called good God that has allowed myself, my family, my friends, and really everyone in the whole world to suffer like this. I cannot believe in a, in a God who would allow that to happen. I just can't do it. And as God is receiving this interrogation, I, I think he might turn you to Hebrews chapter two. In Hebrews chapter two, verses 17 to 18. It says this, therefore... Talking about Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect that's me and you. He's just a, a man, fully God, fully man, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Listen to this. For because he himself, he has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then in, in chapter four of Hebrews, it goes on in, in, in verse 15, it says, for we do not have a great high priest, Jesus. He's not up there in heaven just like, ha ha, I don't have to suffer like you. No, no, no. He's saying this, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then, 
God's word, as you are accepting that and seeing, okay, I see that Jesus was able to suffer for me. Now what did I do about it? It may turn you to Romans chapter five, verse three through five. And, he's, and, and Paul is saying, man, we've been justified by faith. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In the verse three of chapter five in Romans, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so it's God saying, listen, I know sufferings are hard. I know difficulty has come. Please believe me that that Jesus himself has suffered for you, so you're not alone in that. And guess what? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance is character and character hope. So what that means is that oftentimes the suffering you experience is my primary vehicle for your sanctification, believer. And then because he's a God of comfort, he might just take you over to Romans chapter eight. In verse 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen, church? This is true. This is what the word of God says. I'm gonna ask the band to go ahead and come up. See, there may be some of you in, in this room where, man, you're, you, you get that. And you're, you're following Christ, you're abiding in him, you're, you're leaning into all these things, you're holding fast, you're standing firm upon the word of God. But there's a spouse, there's a dad, there's a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a friend, a classmate. And you've been praying for them for so long. <laughs> You've been trying to share Christ with them only to see rejection. Parents in the room maybe have seen a a child that you raised to know the ways of the Lord that now is drifting off. And what you may need to do in the vulnerability of that moment is bring the word of God underneath the lamp and say to God, God, I don't think that you can save my son my daughter, I don't believe I'm struggling. I don't think that you can save my husband, my wife, my, my friend, my family member. I don't, I don't think you can do it. And God's word might powerfully speak to you in Ephesians 2 and, and point to you and say, hey, in many ways you're right. Ephesians 2 says that we're all dead in our sins and our trespasses. Colossians 1.13 says that, that we were in darkness. But the other part of Ephesians 2 and Colossians 1 are so key. In Ephesians 2, it says that we were dead, but you know what he did for us in Christ? He made us alive. And so God might speak to you and remind you 
that what seems impossible to you is possible for him. He might remind you, I know what you feel, I know what you experience. But you're not talking about a God that's like you, that has your abilities, that has your vision. We're talking about a God who can raise from the dead. We're talking about a Colossians 1, 14, 13 through 14 God who can deliver from the domain of darkness and transfer to light. Amen? See, there may be some of you in this, here this morning and you are that person <laughs> that friends and family members are praying for. <laughs> and in a moment of vulnerability and getting God's word under the light, if you're even willing to do that, you may be here, maybe because you were a drug here or maybe it's just a part of your routine, but you might admit to God, God, I, I don't even know if I believe in you. I don't even know if you're real anymore. We're talking about holding fast to the word and standing firm and keeping the faith. Like, I don't even know if I have an interest in that at all. And God's word in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 1 would tell you, you know what, you may be walking in darkness. You may be dead in your sins. But I want you to hold on if that's you and you feel that way because there are people praying for you. <laughs> Probably the same passages that we talked about. And that if you feel that deadness inside, God can raise you from the dead. If you feel darkness inside, God can deliver you from that and bring you to the light. Amen? And if you're like, okay, all right, God, I, I believe you there. Let's just say I, I want to make this thing for real. Let's, just, let's say I, I've embraced all that Cole's talked about this morning. How do I do this? Like, how can, how can I be saved? And God would turn you to, to Romans 10 that says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he raised from the dead, you will be saved. He might turn you to John chapter three, verse 16, which is what we all know, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the invitation this morning, friends. Here, I don't know if you noticed, but the reason that took so long is I tried to cover just about every fathomable situation that you could possibly be in this morning. I hope the walls are down. I hope you're willing to just admit that you probably fall somewhere in one of those categories. And guess what? For every single question that you may have of God, his word has an answer, amen? Psalm 19, he wants to make that a reality in your life. He's so tired of you coming in here week in and week out just surviving. He wants to give you revival of soul. He wants to change and renew your life. So I'm gonna go ahead and ask everyone who's on the response team to, to come forward this morning. And because all this is true, the, the, the walls and facades are down, what this means is that there's no one in this room, we know this including myself, that could go today without an honest reflection, an honest confession that I need prayer somewhere in this area. And you know what we do when we bring people up here? They don't have, uh, like, like Jack Ladder didn't have some magic fairy dust that makes him more spiritual than anybody else. Well, he may. I don't know what he's doing these days. But anyway, all it is is that these are believers in Christ who have the Holy Spirit in them. And they just want to lay a hand on you and pray for you that God might fill you with a unique manifestation of his Holy Spirit to give you a fresh wind, a fresh fire, a fresh energy to follow hard after him, to get into his word, to stand firm upon it. That's all we want to do. And every single one of us need that this morning.
And so I'd ask you and challenge you, what's preventing you from flooding the front here? If if one of them were taken up, just come to the altar and pray and ask God to do a work in your life through his word. And if there's too much space filled up in here, turn to someone next to you, a a, a spouse, a friend or family member, and pray for them. It's time to get our Bibles off the shelf and under the lamp. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this truth and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you have spoken so clearly. God, I ask that you move in our hearts a pure response, a humble response. God, I repent of times whenever I have not stood firm and held fast to your word. I'm praying as we read your promises to so many objections that we have this morning that you would prove that true here in the venue this morning in every single heart and mind. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 